You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 159. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much, as always, for listening to this lively adventure. Today's topic is about how emotions are not based on our circumstances. This is a fascinating subject that came to me while I was in London last week talking with a friend who lives there about some stuff that she had going on personally in her life. Here's a little backstory. I'm going to keep the friend anonymous because this isn't really about her, but the conversation and the lessons that came out of the conversation. So I will say, just so you guys have a little bit of information about what we were discussing, this friend had cancer when she was 25, and that was about four or five years ago, I think, for her, and she's totally recovered now, doing great. She actually had a really unusually good, easy, positive cancer treatment situation scenario. So the story isn't truly about the cancer, but it is part of the backstory of why this conversation came up. Right now, as she's fully in remission and her family has moved on from that difficult period of time, she is going through some stuff with her family and their concerns about life, and she was having some very seemingly natural reactions to it. In particular, one of her family members is very stressed about working too much and is having a hard time relaxing. And as this friend is thinking about this family member and how much stress they have and all of these things that are also now affecting her, she has been asking herself, why don't they have the right perspective on their situations? After her cancer, doesn't everyone have the same perspective on what is truly important? And the answer is really not necessarily. As humans, though our circumstances can vary wildly, our access to different emotions is relatively limited And I don't think that we give ourselves the awareness of this. So I want to go into this today to discuss what the difference is between the multitude, the impossibility of the infinite number, if you will, of circumstances that may happen in our lives or in lives of all humans, yet how limited, relatively speaking, our emotional scale is at the same time. And I'll also say that as I say that we have a limited emotional scale, I'm not saying that we don't have tons of different names and synonyms for our emotions. There are tons of words that we can use to describe emotions. However, if we really boil down those emotions to the actual experience and feeling within our bodies and our minds, there's probably more like, you know, 15 to 20 general emotions. And for the conversation, so we can have something to go off of, I've picked a scale based on a book, Power Versus Force by David R. Hawkins that I read many years ago that has a scale of emotions. Now, these emotions that are listed may not be the exact ones you might pick, but you might be able to take whatever emotion you're thinking of that's not listed in these 17 and find a spot where it would probably fit into the scale within one of these other 17 names and labels. So let's not get so caught up in the verbiage of each word and each emotion, but really think about how they all play together and really the nuances that we can feel with words doesn't necessarily mean that we're actually feeling a different experience physically in our body in 100 million ways if there's 100 million words for emotion. So here is the list of emotions we're going to work with for today, and we're going to start from the low emotions to the highest emotions. So at the bottom of the scale, and if you want, you can go to the show notes for this episode to look this up. I'll have an image for you guys to see there. You can print it out, whatever you'd like. I made this actually years ago when I 
wrote a post about that power versus force book that I mentioned earlier. The lowest emotion on his scale is shame, then guilt, apathy, grief, fear, desire, anger, pride. Now, all of those ones that I just mentioned, shame, guilt, apathy, grief, fear, desire, anger, pride, are on the low level of the emotional scale. They're the ones that are negatively creating, if you will. Then we move into after pride up into the positive one. So they're going from low to getting more and more and more enjoyable to experience. So from pride, we go to courage, neutrality, willingness, acceptance, reason, love, joy, peace. And then at the very top, he lists enlightenment. So you may not identify with the term enlightenment for you, love or joy or peace might be at the top for you. You may find that you like the word, I don't know, here, peace and neutrality. You might find a difference there. You might want to use a different term. The point is not, again, to argue the scale. The point is to basically adapt the scale to what you find that you experience the most and just see that there are just generally this kind of limited range from negative to positive of experiences that we can have. And we can label them different things, but generally speaking, we're not actually feeling a hundred different ways every single day or even (laughs) probably even every year. So what's interesting about it is that once we realize it, we can see that no matter what our situation may look like, no matter what circumstances are showing up in our life, the set of emotions we have access to is always limited to these same 17, if you will. And even more important, our circumstances do not define where we land on that scale, which is huge. I'm going to say it again because I think it's so good. And even more important, our circumstances do not have to define where we land on the scale. So whatever circumstance we're having in our lives, we do not have to have the circumstance truly define where on that scale of emotions I just suggested. For example, when I had my migraines at the meditation retreat, I was regularly feeling joy even though at other points in my life or maybe even for other people, we may have felt neutrality, which would be a little bit lower than joy, anger, which would have been lower than neutrality, or grief because of this. So I had joy while I had the migraines, but someone else could be neutral, someone else could be angry about them, and someone else could have a large amount of grief. And when it comes to other people in our lives and having empathy for their situations, like in the case of my friend that I was mentioning earlier, who was upset with her family for being upset about things that were not as serious as her cancer was years ago, what we can do is we can realize that we may actually just gravitate to similar positive or negative emotions, even when vastly different circumstances are appearing in our lives. We just might be more used to feeling those types of emotions because there's only so many to choose from, even though the circumstances can go from terrible to not so terrible. The emotion that we feel may be the same, even if the circumstance is not nearly as dire or drastic as it was previously or is going to be in the future. And the same goes for positive things as well. This could also potentially explain why people are so often amazed at how happy people are in different parts of the world that are living with so much less physical or material wealth health, or well-being compared to those in more developed areas. 
we always say, you know, it's so crazy that the people that, you know, are living with such poor means are so happy, especially that's something that's common in the U.S. It's something that people are noticing the contrast of when they go to other parts of the world and see other different communities. And that's possibly because they're not basing their emotions on their circumstances in the same way that those in different cultures might. So in the U.S., we may have a standard of living or a set of expectations about our experience that says when we have these circumstances, we're going to allow ourselves to have these specific emotions. And if we don't have them, then we're not going to have those emotions. We're not going to allow ourselves to do that. But in those other cultures, they may not have those same expectations, so they may have a totally different experience. Or even people that have different mental or physical abilities can have hugely positive emotional feelings. They could have a hugely positive outlook on life in general, even though their circumstances to other people may have thrown them off much more, might have taken them much more for a loop. They might have decided that they could not be as happy, joyful, or positive if those circumstances were in their lives. That's because, just going back to this, you guys, there's infinite situations that we may come across, but we always have access to roughly the same 17 emotions to choose from. Which one are we going to experience? We think is based on the experience. I get this experience and I'll have this emotion, but that's not necessarily the case. And I'll get more to that in a second. But first also, just to go into this whole idea of badness and how my friend mentioned that it was annoying that her family was not as, you know, clear in perspective to the things they have going in their life now versus the cancer time. This is something that reminds me of Hal Elrod's episode on The Lively Show, which you can listen to. It's a wonderful, wonderful episode. Hal mentioned that he basically died in a car accident. He was dead or presumed to be, you know, lifeless for a period of time and then did come back. And when he came back to life, he was told when he awoke that he would potentially never walk again after this terrible accident with a drunk driver. And then he said what was interesting about this is that that was the second to worst time in his life. That waking up from a drunk driving accident, potentially never walking again, having just died and having brain injuries, was not the worst emotional experience of his life. He said that later, after that experience had happened, he felt depressed and listless in his life and career and was in a really different downward spiral, and that felt worse than the accident. So it's interesting because his circumstances, if you just looked at the direness of almost dead to not dead, he was not almost dying in any way when he had the emotional worst period of his life. So this is, I think, a really interesting contrast to when we think that the worse it is, the worse our emotions. Not necessarily. And if we can get our head around that, that we may not always have to feel the worst because of the worst circumstances, then we can start to question and detach this belief we may have to the fact that our emotions are triggered by our circumstances. He also mentioned in that episode, for the record, I think I might have even said something about to the effect of, I'm surprised that the car accident wasn't the worst period of your life. He said that when he was broken up as like an eighth grader as a kid, he was also super emotionally upset. 
So we even when we're little, we can even think about children and the things that they're upset about. And it's easy to look at them and say, their concerns are not as big or important as ours, but they have the same access to the same 17 emotions. So no matter what age, no matter what our money, no matter what our physical health, no matter what our circumstances are as they ebb and flow, we all have access roughly to the same 17 emotions. It's kind of like a piano. It's like, which key are we gonna play? And is that based on the deciding factor of the circumstance and what we assign that to mean, or is there another way for us to choose? So now that we can see there are millions of possible circumstances and only a limited number of emotions, what can we do with this? What can we do? I think this is opening up so many awesome possibilities for us. Number one, I think it helps us identify where we or others are on the scale. Just even knowing that there is a rough scale, even if this one that I'm sharing is not perfect, to think about emotions as a scale, I think is hugely helpful. We can also see what emotions we gravitate towards the most because we're creatures of habit and our set point is often the same. The same goes for other people in our lives as well. So we could have a really pretty high set point most of the time where we naturally fall to one of the more positive emotions that I mentioned, or we could have a set point that naturally takes us towards the lower end. And those in our lives may have the high set point or the low set point. Once we see that, we can just recognize that half of this is determined just out of habit. We're just used to feeling certain feelings. And if we can rewire our thinking around this, then maybe we can choose to have better feelings without the circumstances having to change. And then contrasting and almost surprisingly, often the circumstances around us do improve when our emotions do. But that's a lesson for another time. So we won't get into that too much here. Number three, though, we can have empathy. So once we see we're gravitating because we're creatures of habit to certain emotions, we can have empathy for ourselves and others when the ego wants to judge the emotion we feel based on the experience we're having. So when we see our family member stressed out about work as if we had cancer, then we can have empathy for themselves for having that stress in their lives, not because the circumstance quote unquote, requires or demands them to feel that way, but just because we know what that experience of emotion feels like. And the same goes for ourselves. We don't have to beat ourselves up when we recognize that we're feeling more down because of something like feeling listless and purposeless like Hal did than the accident that he had. And number four is we can question whether the emotion we're currently feeling is serving us in the situation or we can see if we can float to a higher emotion. For example, if we go through a breakup and feel fearful, we may have the thought that we may never find another partner as good as the one I just had again. But perhaps if we're in that fear, which is a pretty low level on the scale, we can look up from that one, not all the way up to the highest one of enlightenment or love necessarily, but maybe we can look and see, can I float to one, just one or two rungs higher on the emotional scale? In this case, if we're feeling fearful, perhaps even getting angry could temporarily relieve us of the fear, help us rise up just a little bit and help us reach for a higher feeling 
then once we get there, the point is not to stay angry, guys. I'm not saying we should all, you know, even project this anger on anyone else in this case. It's not about taking it out on the other partner, but maybe having that feeling within ourselves can help us get out of the fear. And once we get out of the fear, we experience the anger. And again, don't point it at other people and don't also beat up yourself, but just, you know, experience anger, allow it to wash through you so that maybe after that you can reach for acceptance and then maybe for love for others and even the other partner themselves. Now, I just skipped several levels in saying this analogy from fear to anger to acceptance and then to love, but you get the idea here. Maybe we can, instead of trying to go from fear to love, try to do it in baby steps on the emotional scale. Baby step our way up from wherever we're feeling to whatever we would like to feel more. Now, this isn't to say we want to stay stuck in all of them all the time in the negative and we just want to go one by one. And it doesn't mean we always have to stay in the positive rungs and it's terrible if we dip down into the gray level, which you'll see in the negative emotions on that scale. We can simply look at them as rungs on the ladder and climb our way to higher emotional feelings and states. And as we get used to climbing that ladder, as we practice this like a muscle that we have never probably used before in our lives, that we are going to be able to spend more time towards the top of that emotional ladder. And here's the spiritual ninja master level. This is the stuff that I'm really working on right now, and it may not be resonating for you right now, and that's great. It's not gonna be the easiest thing to do. I can tell you I have been spending the last three to four months working on this in my own life very diligently, but here it is, guys. Can we choose our emotions before our circumstances? For example, I was filled with joy, peace, and love before and during my breakup with Mr. Lively, which actually led to a wonderful unfolding of the end of that relationship itself. I was already at a positive place. And in a breakup, typically people get to a really negative place before they decide to say there's nothing left here or there's nothing worth saving or whatever it might be for some people. Not everyone obviously does that, but some people do try to go to the lowest emotional rungs before they decide that it's time to evolve a relationship. But because I was emotionally, from my whole life and all the work I've been doing in my life and personally, professionally, everything, I was at a really wonderful, high-level place, and I still listened to my intuition and took action on it. And as I did it, that did lead to a wonderful unfolding, which often is not necessarily the case for other people. Now, was I always there? Was I always up at joy, peace, and love all the time during that? No, but I got better at the habit and I got better at staying up there. So the other emotions, quote unquote, kind of stuck less or I felt stuck down in them far less than I used to be because I had gotten to a good place and had gotten used to feeling those emotions before I made the switch, before I made the shift. And also, I was at joy in my emotional state before the migraines set in. So it wasn't because the migraines came that I was like, oh, great, I'm going to assign the situation to be joyful. Although you could try that. I mean, that would be an interesting mind game to try to say that, you know, kind of reprogram your expectations that if something that is something you used to not want happens, can you just say, I'm actually going to think of this as a you know really high emotional state. I didn't do that per se. I was already feeling joy before the migraine set in. So I could continue with the joy that I had while the pain was searing through my head for hours upon hours a day by framing the experience of them with other thoughts that brought joy to me. 
So some of the things, because I was at Joy, I was able to think of thoughts that felt joyful about migraines. I know that sounds crazy, but it totally worked. I told myself, this is temporary. This could be a sign that my body is healing hormonally in a better way than ever before, and that maybe I can even learn from this situation and share it with you guys here on the show because it wasn't going away. So I was thinking, you know what? Maybe there's something here that I can benefit from. Those are all thoughts that bring me joy, even though the experience of the migraines did not actually bring me joy. They were actually painful. I just didn't choose to emotionally suffer while I had them. The emotion was joy. The physical was pain. Isn't that interesting? The emotion was joy and the physical happened to be pain. Now, again, this is something that takes practice. This is something that is not how we are typically taught growing up to approach life, or at least I was not in my own life and circumstances, but it is hugely rewarding And when it comes to other people in our lives and dealing with them, like my friend is with her family, we have to recognize their emotional patterns and awareness may be different than our own. For example, there are two types, generally speaking. There'll be people that are better at this than us, and there'll be people that are worse at this than us. So the first group, like my ex-boyfriend from college, they have the innate ability to reach for a positive emotion no matter what the circumstances seem to be. He was so, I used to say the word laid back, but I think it's ultimately he had perspective. But if I really look at what a great perspective is, he decided not to emotionally go down on this scale more often than he needed to. He had a pretty high set point. So the circumstances would come along and he would not let them derail him from his emotional set point, which was pretty high. Maybe that's even what laid back people really are if we deconstruct it. I'm not saying that is the case. I'm not looking too deep there, but that was definitely how I would describe him. And it doesn't mean all laid back people are like that or anything like that, but that was in his case something that I noticed. When it comes to those people that are better at this, let us be inspired by them. Let us watch them model this behavior and recognize, wow, that might have really set me off more than it set them off. That makes me question whether I have to have this experience or not. Doesn't mean I have to judge myself if I get more tripped up by it, but it does mean that it shows us it's possible instead of being stuck in the limiting belief that it's impossible to feel joy when we have migraines. And then number two, this is the group that we really want to focus on. The other people that have, this is actually not the group that we really need to focus on. It's the one we tend to focus on. The other group is the people that have habits that reach for negative emotions on a wide array of circumstances. So these are the people that gravitate towards the lower end of the scale. Those people are typically the ones we have problems with. These are the ones that we have friction and resistance to when we see them going to the low end of the scale and we have a bigger or greater awareness on our emotional set point and that sort of thing. What do we do with them? Obviously, we're not going to be inspired by it. But what we do have to do or have the opportunity to do is give them empathy and give them emotional room for their experience without attaching our own emotional well-being to their moods. I'm going to say that again because I think that's super important. We do not have to attach our own emotional well-being to their moods. And as I said, this is in the spiritual ninja master level, so this isn't saying that this is easy to do, 
But if we can start to detach our own emotional well-beings from their moods, then we give them full permission to have whatever emotional experience they're having without judging them, condemning them, and ultimately lowering our own emotional level at the same time. We don't need to get angry, for example, and go dip down from maybe we're up most of the time up at like neutrality or acceptance, and then we get mad at them. So we stop accepting them and we get angry about it. And then we go down to anger. We don't need to go down just because they do. This does not mean it's easy, but it does mean it's possible. If it's possible for Hal Elrod to feel like it's worse for him to go through kind of a period of sluggishness and frustration in his life that is feeling worse than his car accident and possible paralysis, it really shows that we can do the same in ourselves. So how can we help other people though? That doesn't mean when we see them hurting that we want to leave them in the muck. Here's my three suggestions. Number one, feel free to share this episode if you think they might be willing to listen to it or if it may resonate with them. Number two, model the behavior yourself so much that they ask what your secret is. This is not for you to tell them what to do. It's just to say, if you get so clear on you that you keep being happy and keep being happy or keep finding one of those positive feeling emotions, you keep staying up there. Eventually, they may notice the contrast of how you're living your life to their own, and they may start to ask or wonder what you're doing. Of course, their ego may also be upset about the fact that you're feeling good and they're not, so we have to be aware of that too, but That would be my biggest suggestion is just to model it so much they ask what your secret is because when they come to you wanting answers, they're much more likely to listen than if you shove answers in their face. And number three is have empathy for them. Have empathy for them. Have empathy for them. When you have been in a stuck low place, the last thing you really want is someone to tell you you're in this stuck low place and that it's easy to get out of. Because you know, if you could do it, you would. And if they're there, have empathy. And then go back to picking a good feeling emotion for yourself. Because again, it goes back up to number two, model the behavior so much they ask what your secret is. When they see that you are not emotionally dependent on their emotional moods, that might get them questioning what they're doing. It may not, but either way, you're going to have a great life. They're not going to be feeling like you're pushing on them too much, and you're going to be feeling good, which is the whole point. Their life is their journey, and we cannot, as much as we care about them, force them into anything. We can only be the light and wait for them to ask how we shine. And there you have it, guys. That is my episode for you guys today. Feel free to re-listen to this episode. I know this is a lot of new stuff that we haven't covered yet on The Lively Show or in The Lively Adventure. And I have to say, guys, I am loving this whole conversation I feel like I'm having with you week to week. I hope you're enjoying it too, especially when I listen back to the You Don't Have to Own to Appreciate episode and some other ones as well this summer. I've really been finding that I have loved this conversation on going with you to be able to share with you what I'm learning. It helps me process what I'm learning and also is hopefully helping you because a lot of this content that I'm going through and sharing with you is not stuff that I'm seeing elsewhere in other books or things I could be doing interviews about per se. And I really want and hope that this conversation and this type of approach that is benefiting me so much in my life could benefit you too. 
And for that reason, I think I'm gonna keep going what I'm calling full flow. Going forward, I'm not gonna force myself to go back to a regular interview schedule per se, though interviews may show up time to time on Thursdays. I feel like this work that I'm sharing with you right now, this type of stuff is so powerful and I wanna keep sharing it, at least for this period of flow in my life. So hopefully you guys enjoy that. Let me know in Instagram or on Twitter or something like that or an email if you're enjoying this too. And of course, we have over 100 interviews in the archives, I believe, to listen to if you haven't listened to all of those already or even want to re-listen to interviews. Doesn't mean they won't ever come up again, but I just know that this work that I'm doing here is really changing my life in much more powerful ways than even some interviews I could have going forward. And I just wanna keep sharing this with you guys because I wanna give you as much value and benefit to your life as I possibly can. So this week I am headed to London and then back to New York City. After New York for a few days, I'll be going to Sonoma for a wine tasting bachelorette party for one of my dear college friends. I'm in her wedding this October in Michigan. So we're gonna be in Sonoma for this little wine tasting. I'll be back in the States. And I know you guys are wondering if I'm going to stay in the States or not, or come back to Europe. The answer is, I don't know, but I'm waiting to see what flows. As I do understand what's going to happen, I'll be sure to share it with you. Until next week, may something wonderful happen to you today. Today.